You know, church, uh, those of you who are new, we are so glad that you're here with us uh, uh, on this Easter morning. I'm Jerry. I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, we're just, this is a special day for Christians around the world. And so open up your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. Um, Laura just read for us verses 1 to 9. In just a few moments, I'm going to read verses 13 to 35. If you have your Bible or an app, you can open it. The words are also going to be on the screen behind me, and I'll read that in just a moment. But before I do, I want you to think back on something. I want you to think back on something that might be a little bit of a downer. So we're going to start a little bit on a downer this morning, okay? A little bit of a downer. But, you know, we just heard a story that, you know, there was a season there that when you think, when the Honigans think back, time of despair. I mean, I remember when they called on the telephone and told about what was happening to Jared, and, and, and it, was, it was bleak there, those first days. Filled, there was a lot of despair, a lot of discouragement, a lot of grief and concern and anxiety. So when you think back in your life, uh, what was one of those times where you experienced despair, discouragement? Maybe a disillusionment where, where you, you were down. You really needed hope, right? You really needed hope. What was that experience in your life? Perhaps it was something like we just heard about. Something happened to a child. Perhaps it was uh, the news of the death of a, of a loved one, a parent, a sibling, a child. It was news from a doctor. Perhaps it was the, the loss of that job that you really loved, that you enjoyed, that you had worked hard for. Or it was the, the breakup of a marriage that you had invested years into or some other kind of a relationship. Maybe it was a friendship that had been something to you and been meaning, meaningful to you, but the person walked away from you and from your life together. Uh, something in your past. Maybe it's happening right now. Some of you this morning, you came in this morning and your heart perhaps wasn't filled with joy and hope, but filled with discouragement, some disillusionment, some despair. Certainly there's been things going on in our world that have encouraged this. I mean, we're two years into a pandemic and while you know, certainly things are looking better now than what they were last Easter, uh, we are still feeling the effects of this and this event in our world and, and the impacts that it's having upon our world. We look at what's happening in Europe and the war there in Ukraine, and, and we see the events in Russia and, and all of that's contained, and you can't help but be somewhat concerned. What is going on in this world of ours? And so uh, we find people throughout our, our society and our culture in our churches that are, are filled with discouragement and despair and disillusionment. And so to everybody who is like that this morning, who's feeling that way, to all of you who need some hope, this text, Luke 24, verses 13 to 35 are for you. Luke includes, I think, this resurrection story for people who need help. Think about it for a moment. In Luke 24, he gives three resurrection stories. The first one is the women who come to the 
to the tomb that Laura read a few moments ago, and the angels announce that Jesus is risen as he told them, right? And then at the end of Luke 24, you have Jesus who appears suddenly in the room with the apostles, and he eats fish with them, and they're overwhelmed. And then the book of Luke kind of ends, and then you transition into the book of Acts because he wrote both of these things, the ascension being in the middle there, right? And so you have these three, and then in the middle of those, of those stories, you have this one that we're about to read. And and quite honestly, I don't really relate, and you probably can't relate to the women at the tomb. It's kind of hard for us to apply the women at the tomb to our lives today. An apostle's eating fish with Jesus who literally appears, and that just doesn't ring our bells. It's it's good to know and, and to see, and there's truth there, but how that touches us at the daily level, that's that's not our story. Hundreds of resurrection stories Luke could have chosen. There's hundreds of them, right? Over 500 people see Jesus after the resurrection. And in and, and all of these stories, Luke is, is aware of, I'm sure most of them, because of the research that he does. And he chooses this one. It's intentional. Why? I think it's because we can relate to these guys. In our passage, we have two people. Traditionally, they're considered two men who no doubt were reflecting all of the feelings, the emotions, the the despair that many throughout Jerusalem were feeling on that Passover weekend 2,000 years ago. And so as we read this passage, as we study it this morning, Luke is speaking to everyone who's ever felt that, that deep knot of despair who has to sing a song over and over until they feel differently, who needs hope. He's speaking to everyone who needs hope. And the overarching truth of this passage, as we're going to see here in a second, is that it's only in the risen Christ, it's only in Him where we will find true life-changing hope. Let me begin in verse 13. That very day, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, It's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that the Christ, that the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Heavenly Father, as we consider these verses, these words this morning, would your Spirit open our hearts? Would he open our eyes? so that we can see Jesus, so that we may know him better. May you stir in our hearts a passionate hope that only comes through him. In your name we pray, amen. So it's been three days since Jesus was crucified. There's been a couple of days now, or oh, three days of despair, disillusionment, discouragement, these travelers' lives, like the apostles and the rest of the disciples, was suddenly made more complicated. Here's these women who come back early Sunday morning saying the tomb was empty, and they had a vision of angels telling this amazing, astounding story. But there's a problem. Do we believe these women or not? Because in society in that day, that was a question. And apparently, what happens is these two people, Cleopas and the other person who's not named, they decide to go home. I'm going home. And they leave Jerusalem. Sometime after the women came and gave their report, it's now known that Jesus is not in the tomb. They don't know what's going on. They don't stick around. They decide to go home. I mean, they're like the people who leave the football game the last three minutes and something amazing then happens and they miss out on it all, right? They just decide to go and they go. And they begin walking to Emmaus filled with confusion, and fear, and disillusionment and despair. Let's start right there. Their despair was physically and emotionally obvious. You see this in the opening verses, verses 15 to 17. And verse 15 is evident in their communication. The scriptures tell us they're walking and discussing together when Jesus drew alongside of them. That word discussing is literally they're throwing back and forth at each other. So what were they doing? Arguing. They're arguing with each other. Now here's, what, here's where it gets kind of interesting. Tradition says that these are two men on the road to Emmaus. One of them is named Cleopas. But when you go into the original languages in the Greek, you've realized that only one of them is a male, Cleopas. The other one is not identified as a male. I have a sneaky suspicion 
We get an insight into a husband-wife argument going on here, right? That who's going home is Cleopas and his wife, and couples haven't changed in 2,000 years, and they're arguing with each other. They're talking back and forth about what happened in Jerusalem, all right? They're going, now, because we're going to honor tradition here, I may say these two men throughout the rest of this sermon, but you go ahead and tuck it away that this is one of those questions we're going to ask when we're going to get to heaven, and I think we're going to find out we might be right that it was him and his wife, okay? But we'll leave that alone for now. But it's clearly evident in their communication that they're upset, that they're discouraged, that there's despair. It's evident in their countenance. When Jesus comes and he begins to ask him, and then he says, uh, what's going on? They, they, they don't recognize him initially. Now, why is this the case? Well, in part, perhaps it's because in his resurrection body, Jesus' body was different in some important ways. You know, he walks through walls, as you see here, and more than one occasion, he just vanishes. You know, he can... He can teleport, you know, all kinds of things that Jesus does after his resurrection. Kind of thrills me about what it's going to be like when we get resurrected. But, you know, in some ways he looks the same, but there were some differences. But the biggest reason why they don't recognize him is they're just spiritually blinded. You know, they're, they're kept from seeing him. You know, they, they think he's dead. They, they have no reason to think that this person that they're talking to is Jesus because They've ignored everything that they've been told and taught. So they don't expect it to be Jesus. Maybe they think in the back of their mind, this guy kind of looks like Jesus, but it can't be Jesus because he's dead, right? And so here they are, they're arguing. He says to them, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And, and, here's the, and they stood still. In other words, picture this. They're walking along. They're having this argument. They're talking things back and forth. It's animated. Jesus comes up next to them and he goes, so what are you guys talking about? And they just, they just stop and they look at him and the scripture says, and they were sad. And, and literally, they were downcast. They, they, they was, it was remarkable that you could tell from their countenance that this was a couple of people who were in deep, deep distress, despair. So their despair was physically, emotionally obvious. Their despair was the result of crushed expectations. Now let's, in verse 21, you see the reason why. But before we get to that, I, I don't want us to skip verses 18 and 20. 18 to 20. Because these verses are important from a, maybe from a historical and apologetic reason. In verses 18 to 20, and so again, here's Jesus. He says, what's going on? Why are you guys so upset? Why are you arguing like this? Why are you so downcast? You, you are clearly, clearly something bad has happened. What's going on? Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas answered him, did you just beam down from the mothership? That's in the Greek, okay? That's literally, that's basically what he means. When he says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? In other words, have you been living in a cave? I mean, haven't you been checking your social feeds? I mean, I mean everybody knows. What, what is going on? How can you not know why we would be upset? He's mystified as to how this could be. And Jesus says to them, what things? 
And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, and he goes on and he tells them all about what happens to Jesus and how the body is missing and what the women had said and how he was crucified and, and how the religious leaders and how he was the great prophet and he'd done all these things and he was just, boom, put on trial and killed and we, we don't understand what's happened and why. They're clearly upset. Here's, here's why I bring this out, guys. The resurrection, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, this was not some little obscure event that happened out in the middle of the swamp somewhere that nobody knew about. I, I mean, to, to put it in perspective, in, in modern, to say some, a modern setting, it would be like us turning on CNN or Fox News or something else tomorrow morning and finding out, you know, or at the six o'clock news, finding out that, you know, the night before, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, Joe Biden, had been secretly arrested by the Department of Justice, put on trial, found guilty, and immediately taken to the electric chair and executed and put to death. That's what it would have been like. And then a couple of days later, um, we have a news update. Um, apparently, um, the, the body of Joe Biden well, if you have information about the body of Joe Biden, please call 1-800-WHERE'S-JOE-BIDEN, okay? Everybody knows about it. And, and this is a city under, this is a, a, the major capital city. It's normally 250 to 300,000 people. Passover weekend, it swells to around a million people. And everybody knows about it. Everybody knows about it. They don't need CNN. They had the Middle Eastern gossip going on, and that's so much better than CNN. Okay? I'm telling you, this is the truth. It's unbelievable. I've been doing some stuff with our Presbytery, and I was talking to people in Lebanon, and uh, just by phone, and within three days, I was talking to somebody in Egypt, and they knew about it. It's unbelievable how news can travel. So we have to grasp the fame of Jesus. He was a celebrity. Everybody knows Jesus. Everybody knows what's happened here. And the reason why this is important and it's, so in, it's such a known quantity is that 25 years later, when the apostle Paul is on trial for his life, he, like Jesus, is now before a Roman governor, not, not Pilate, but Festus, not the guy from Gunsmoke, a different Festus, right? Some of you that just went right over your head, but... <laughs> You older guys, you got it, right? He's before Festus, and sitting next to Festus is King Agrippa, the son or nephew, excuse me, the nephew of the Agrippa who helped crucify Jesus. And so he's on trial for his life. And he's telling Festus, here's what's happened to me. I persecuted the Christians. I thought it was all a bunch of bunk, that Jesus was a fraud. And, and so, I mean, here I am, I'm killing Christians, I'm enslaving Christians, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a religious person, I have the authority to do so, I'm on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appears to me. Oh my, he's actually alive, the Christians are right, I'm the one who's wrong. And on the road to Damascus, I gave my life to Jesus, and he's telling his story and his testimony about, the re, about Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And this is the response of Festus. 
As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, he shouts at him, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. You are insane. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words for the king King Agrippa, who's sitting right next to you, knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. In other words, Festus, I know you may not believe me, but the guy sitting next to you who's in power, he knows that everything I'm telling you is true because we all were here, we all saw it, we all know what happened. And King Agrippa, he doesn't turn and say, Festus, this guy is crazy. Bring out the guy with the padded suits. Instead, Festus just blah, 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 and he tries to laugh it off sarcastically with the joke. And I bring this up because for those of you who are skeptics, and you're here on Easter Sunday because you got loved ones and mama or daddy or grandpa or somebody Uh, or a friend and you came, I'm putting this all before you because I want you to understand that this isn't just some empty ritual festival that we observe today. That this was a historical event. It was a major event. And that Jesus was resurrection, his life after death was witnessed by hundreds of people. Luke is a valid historian who knows these people. Listen, if if Ukraine, if we have war trials, I guarantee you that you know, if they arrest Putin or generals or whatever and put them on trial like they did at Nuremberg, they're not bringing 500 witnesses against Putin. They don't need that many. They don't need 500 witnesses against the generals who have, who have ordered these genocides in Ukraine. They won't, they won't take that many. They'll have a dozen or so, right? Not 500. Why? Because typically in court, two, three, four is more than enough. The issue here is that everybody knows there's no body. He died, he was buried, no body. Hundreds of people are saying he rose again. We've seen him, we've touched him, we ate with him. So there's only a couple of explanations. It's either natural or supernatural, and the natural ones don't hold water. They don't hold water. And so for all those of you who are skeptics, I would just simply suggest to you that your skepticism is not an intellectual issue. You're you're deceiving yourself by saying, well, I don't believe this about Jesus. And you're throwing up intellectual objections. This is self-deception. It's not intellectual. I mean, how much more proof do you need? than what has been given within the historical records and the lives of the people who followed Jesus immediately, giving up their own lives, going to their graves in torturous ways, refusing to recant, saying, no, this is what we saw. This is what happened. How many more do you need to have? See, your issue isn't intellectual, it's spiritual. I mean, just look at Cleopas. Here he had women who he knew, who he trusted, including the mother of Jesus, who comes to them saying, the tomb is empty. We saw angels, angels here, angels told us these things and he won't believe them. 
His issue was not intellectual doubt and because he was so smart, his issue was spiritual blindness. And for those of you who are skeptical this morning, that is your issue. This is where you have to start. You need to begin praying, God, this guy up on stage has right in any way, help me see it. Help me see it. So anyway, getting back to expectations, verse 21. All of their discouragement, their despair, it it was really based upon, you know, crushed expectations, unmet expectations. And we see that in verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Did you catch that? Here's the reason why they were in despair. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Their despair is political despair, but behind the political despair is actually a deeper spiritual despair. Politically, they had been looking for the Messiah to come, and they thought, hey, this is the guy. Jesus is here. He's the sent Messiah. He's going to deliver us from the oppression of Rome. He's going to be that great conqueror who makes all the social injustices, all the poverty, all the suffering, all the oppression go away. He's here. Oh, he's not going to deliver us. We're still under Roman rule. Our guy didn't win the election. Oh, I guess we're still in for it. But understand behind that political despair was a spiritual despair. Because the rabbis of that day, like the rabbis of today, still teaching that God would not send the Messiah until the people of God had lived and obeyed the law and facilitated that sending of the Messiah by the obedience of their life to the law. In other words, they had to live good lives, work in such a way, perform in such a way that God would finally say, okay, now you guys deserve to have the Messiah sent to you. And so here are all these people who believe, wow, Jesus is the Messiah. Finally, finally, we finally have done it. (laughs) Finally, we finally have measured up. Finally have lived good enough. Finally have obeyed the law well enough. God's rewarding us. He's blessing us. We finally have honored him in ways that our parents didn't do it. And and God has sent the Messiah. Finally, he's here. Oh, I guess we don't measure up. I guess we're not good enough. I guess we're still separated from God. See, this is why we can all relate to these guys. How many of us through the years in one way or another have tried to work and earn our deliverance, 
our restoration with God. How many of us, we live a good life and we do all the things that we do, but behind it all is this selfish motivation thinking that if I just simply jump through these hoops in some way, this is what will incentivize God to continue to bless me, to to honor me, to give me this life that I love, or to give me what I want to have. And then when it comes crashing down around our ears in some way, Something happens that isn't supposed to happen to us who are the good people who have been living in a way to try to honor God and obey God and have been doing all the right things. And boom, it comes crashing down around our ears. Oh, maybe I don't measure up. Maybe I'm not that good after all. And it fills us with despair. As it should because we don't measure up. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us falls short. We don't need a little help, people. We need rescuing, we need salvation. And that's why Jesus came He didn't come to give us a little push over the finish line because we got to the 99-yard line and we just need a push over the one-yard line. No, we need to be carried all the way down the field because we are spiritually dead. This is the bad news. The good news, this kind of despair, when you get to this point where you realize, oh man, this is bad. Well, the good news comes on the heels of that. And this is what you see here, their despair, it prepared them for what they needed to hear. And that was the message of hope that Jesus gives. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then you have that great story of how he, they go into the, into the pub and they, they begin to sit down and they haven't recognized Jesus, but then Jesus breaks the bread and they suddenly recognize him. It's Jesus and he disappears, right? And in verse, verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? Do you know what they're getting at here? They're, they're essentially saying, Why did it take us so long to recognize him? On the road, when he was teaching us, we should have recognized him on the road because our hearts were burning the way they would burn whenever we would hear Jesus talk. I kind of get what happens here and what had happened to these guys. These two knew the words of Scripture They had been raised with the stories. They had been raised into the word of God, but they knew it all. They knew the words, but they didn't understand the message of the scripture. Maybe a way to relate this and help us understand why this happens. Many months back, I think I briefly shared many months back, one one Friday, uh, MJ and I went to Vero. Uh, MJ has different authors that he likes to read. And he had gotten a book by one of his authors that he likes to read that some of you will recognize, Nicholas Sparks. 
And, and he got, not only a new book was coming out, he gotten tickets, Nicholas Sparks was coming to Vero, there was a limited room, you could buy tickets, you could go in, he'd do a reading, and blah, 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 blah. And Catherine, being sometimes sadistic, sent me in her place. <laughs> and uh, I go, and I walk into this room with MJ, and it's, you know, a big auditorium like this, and there's like 9,000 women and me and MJ. And so I really felt like a duck out of water, right? I did not want to be there. I got to tell you, I did not want to be there. I got on my phone. I was doing everything I could. I was playing solitaire, blah, 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 and, and, and whatnot. J, MJ goes and meets him. And he was a nice man, and he signs the book, and we're waiting. And then he gets up there, and he reads a piece of the, of the book, and I'm like, yeah, okay, blah, 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 blah. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, that kind of and, But after he gets done reading, he begins to talk. And he begins to tell the story of his life. And he begins to talk about, you know, the events in his life over the previous 30, 40 years that had fed into that book. And, you know, how this person from his life was this character and how this situation that happened with his children at school fed into this portion of the plot line. And he begins to fill in from his life all of these different experiences that fed into the book. And, you know, before I knew it, I was like fascinated, drawn, hanging on every word of this guy who writes chick flick books, right? And, I'm, and when everything is done and he gets done, you know, people stand up and they're giving him a standing ovation. And what am I doing? I'm standing clapping, you know. It was a, it was a phenomenal evening. I told Jerry, I said, okay, I'll come next time. You know, it was great. It was great. There's a difference between reading the book of an author and spending time with the author and getting to know him and getting to know his insights into his words. It's a huge difference. And so these guys have been raised reading the words of the author, but now they were walking with the author. And the author is telling them, and he starts in the old, now what does he show them? Maybe he starts in the garden. He says, you know, back in the garden when God sacrifices the lamb and he creates clothes to cover the shame of Adam and Eve and he promises them that one day there's gonna come a seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. That, that he was talking about Jesus. You know, when Abraham, when he took Isaac to Mount Moriah and he was going to kill him on the, on the altar as a sacrifice, that, that Mount Moriah, that was the place where Jesus was killed on Friday. And that whole story was to prepare you guys to understand that one day God was going to send the ultimate. Why do you think, guys, you've been going to the temple on the Day of Atonement and all that, everything that's been happening for thousands of years, all of that was about Jesus. And he just goes to the Old Testament, showing them how it all finds its yes and completion in Jesus. And these travelers, because they're with the author of the book, the subject of every page of the book is right there, and they're hearing it from them. It changed their lives. And instead of being filled with despair, their eyes are now opened and their hearts are burning with an inner conviction. And instead of despair, they have hope. And they run all the way back to Jerusalem and they tell what happens 
to the rest of the disciples. Is that your testimony? In some way, have you met Jesus like that? Or are you more like Cleopas as he left Jerusalem, starting out on the road to Emmaus? A religious person who had all kinds of accurate information about Jesus, but who experienced way too much despair, discouragement, disillusionment, didn't have that hope in his life because he did not yet have a burning conviction in his heart that Jesus is the risen Lord. He didn't have that burning conviction yet. Is that going on in your life? You've read the words, you hear the words, but you haven't met the author. You're not walking down the road, letting him give you the, the inside scoop on what this means and how that dot connects to that dot and how this truth applies to your life. You know things about him, but you don't know him. You don't recognize him even though he's walking with your family members and working all around you in the lives of people that you know and love and respect. And you kind of sit there and go, why is it that they and I, I don't have, but they do, I, I don't get it. Maybe they're just more emotional than I am. What's going on here? It's only in the risen Christ will we find true and life-changing hope. It starts with that initial confession of sin and receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's where it starts. Some of you, this is where your spiritual journey needs to begin. You need to begin praying, asking God to give you a heart that loves Jesus. Come to the point where you recognize that you are a sinner. You're never gonna earn God's favor. That we're all sinners who fall short of God's glory. But that Jesus dying on the cross was to pay the penalty of our sins. And he offers salvation to anyone who will receive him as Lord through faith. And Christian, if you've been running back to performance instead of resting in the done work of Jesus, that's a surefire recipe to have your life filled up with discouragement and disillusionment, even as a follower of Christ. It's only in the risen Christ. It's only in walking with the author, getting to know him, letting him feed you and communing with him, letting him break that bread, remove the blinders, fill our hearts with that. That's the only way despair is turned into hope. So if you've run back to performance, I'd encourage you, remember how you came into the family of God in the first place. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who gives us hope. We thank you that you are the one who lived the life that we were to live and died for our sins so that we could be reconciled to our heavenly Father. I pray, Father, for the one here, specifically this morning, who his, their life is not filled with hope. 
Perhaps they're out and out a skeptic who still questions whether what they hear today is true or not. Perhaps they are someone who's been raised with the words of Scripture, but there's no real fire. There's no real relationship. It's just head knowledge. It's not been a a heart reality that has changed their life. Both need Jesus. So I'd ask, Father, that you would open eyes like you did for Cleopas on that road to Emmaus. Do this, Father, for their good, and do this for your glory. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.